Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Zafonzo Davies, treble winner, and you're listening to Ranks FC. everybody and welcome to Frank's FC. Now you were probably not expecting a Monday drop but it's a very very special week. It's Cyber Week and we thought we'd give you a little bit of a treat. So what we're doing is we're opening up our Patreon offering to everybody for a week to let you know one how much you're missing out on by not being patrons and two to give you a kind of taster of what we do over there and, and kind of get more people involved in the situation. So today is our Monday post box. Every week we answer as many questions as we possibly can in an hour about the weekend's football just before we get into the post box and there is a lot of mail as usual Dean's got some very interesting news about a giveaway for everybody going on yeah I don't think we've ever done a giveaway before of any sort whether it was BR football ranks ranks FC just our general lives whatever but we have our first giveaway and here we go then. So in honour of Black Friday this week, we're doing giveaways across all three shows. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, there will be competitions. The prize for this first one is any football shirt you want. So you fancy a Leipzig shirt, you can have a Leipzig shirt, but you'll want a Fulham shirt, so I've already bought it. Um, just let <laughs> us know where to send it. No, any, any football shirt you want, you could win. This is how you enter. You get a mate to subscribe to our Patreon. And then you simply DM us that person's name. We double check that they definitely did sign up. Um, and you are in there. It's the easiest competition in the world. If you get three mates to sign up, we'll enter you three times. Do whatever you want, but just make sure that somebody signs up to our Patreon, obviously because it's brilliant. And then we will randomly select a winner. And hopefully the prize will be with you in time for Christmas. I'd like to think so. Yeah, I would like to think so as well. We are reasonably efficient these days in our in our new nimble format. And and with that, Sam, I think it's probably time to get on to the post box because we have a lot of questions to answer. And we'll start the Premier League, Sam, as usual. A lot of questions about Spurs uh, and their actual title credentials. Now, Zach Cohen says, can Spurs actually contend for the title? I legitimately believe they have the all-round best squad with probably the best player this season in Harry Kane. Am I delusional for thinking this? Uh, and Gabriel Levy says, Does Spurs actually have a chance of the title. They looked very convincing on Saturday. Now, to counter it, I suppose, Darius Cade has said to us, can we please stop pretending that Tottenham are a legitimate title contender? <laughs> they have had a great start to their season and have a strong team, but they are also Tottenham. They exist to bottle things and they will bottle this too. Also, I feel like we shouldn't talk about teams as title contenders until we reach the halfway point of the season. There are so many games left to play. Leicester started quite well last year, then fell off a cliff. I would not be shocked if Tottenham did the same. Now, Sam, I know this is kind of how you feel about the title and predicting things early on is not necessarily your bag, but I think it would be mad to write Tottenham off at this point. Yeah, I don't think you can rule them out. I just, yeah, I, I'm with Darius in the, not with the bottling thing. I'm with Darius in the, uh, it's a bit early. If we all accept, as we say every single week, that this is the craziest season on record, that nothing makes sense, then I don't think it makes sense to start picking out obvious title contenders other than, you know, Liverpool and City, who basically contended it last year. Even with Chelsea's hot start, hitting the top of the table for a stretch this weekend, even with Tottenham doing what they've done. I mean, I think it's okay sometimes just to calm down a little bit and just to enjoy the ride. And obviously Spurs fans are doing just that. It's completely fine to dream big, but you're not going to get me drawn on pimping Spurs for the absolute title. I mean, look, Dean was pretty hot on them last week. And when we previewed Man City versus Tottenham uh, in our Friday episode last week, Dean, you were, you were pretty strong on on Spurs, on on how good they are, on how well-equipped they were for that game in particular, which they ended up winning. So you might feel slightly differently. Yeah, I mean, I, I did predict a Spurs win and I said that they were tough to beat, hard to score against. And tactically, I just thought that Pep's team would struggle to break them down. Um, and it was pretty much how the game unfolded. I mean, 
are Tottenham going to win the league? I don't think they are, no. And the reason I don't think they'll win the league is because Liverpool are going to. Um, Liverpool have just smashed Leicester with their reserve team. And they've got identical records right now, Tottenham and Liverpool. Tottenham are first. They've both won six, drawn two, lost one, both on 20 points. Um, both scored the same number of goals, 21. The difference being right now is that Liverpool haven't really felt like they've even got going yet. Like, I haven't seen a performance, really, where I'm like, that's vintage Liverpool, and that's going to come. In the second half of the season, that's going to come. Um, Tottenham, can they get much better than they've been? Well, Bales needs to come into the team. I mean, there's an argument here that they're only only 80% here. They may be, but I'm also wondering if Bale as an impact player might be like one of the best weapons up a sleeve anyone's ever had in the Premier League and maybe they only want to bring him on for like 20-25 minutes and if that's the case what a changer though I mean what a game changer to have up your sleeve at some point obviously he's going to start be starting games but for now it's funny like in the first few games how much criticism Bale was getting and people saying oh it turns out it's not the old Bale um don't worry about this signing do worry about it because the difference with having Bale is you're going to get probably, well, over the course of a season, he'll probably win, win you points in five or six games late on that you wouldn't have got without him. You wouldn't have got that under Lucas Moura. Um, and look, I think Tottenham will finish top four. I think they can compete to be in the top two. I don't think they can win the league. It's funny that you say this, Dean, because... A day ago, you tweeted, a 38-game cup competition, take every game in isolation. This could be the perfect time for Mourinho to win the Premier League again. So suited for him. And I think I think that tweet is pretty much spot on. Like, it I, is. I think and that... I agree with it. But that was, a, that was the day before. But that's the day before Liverpool have, have a patched-up team against Leicester, who have been one of the best teams in the division, and absolutely battered them. So I watched that and I thought, Oh. Liverpool always beat Leicester, though. This happened last year. Do you remember when Leicester won a well, bit of a charge? Everyone. They beat everyone last season. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. But there is always <laughs> this kind of thing with Liverpool and Leicester where, you know, I was reading, they were like, every time they come up against them and they seem to be a, a genuine contender, Liverpool seem to put them to the sword. And it happened last Christmas. And it yeah. happened, you know, it's happened again now. It's just a, it's a funny one. And I think there are, there are a lot of questions. But I, yeah, I would say that writing Tottenham off would be a, a bad look right now. Um, I think that there is there's something to be said for the fact that they you know probably have the Premier League's form player. They have you know a side under Mourinho who seem to be finding their feet. And you know I, I'm not saying they're going to win it, but I do think that writing them off it would be would be foolish. Uh, Who's the form player, point. Jack? Form player in the league, Harry Kane. Harry Kane, mate. Oh, Harry sorry, Kane. I thought it was Hoybio. Uh, um, quick, quick, quick shout, boys! Player. Quick shout for Jose because. What, what he actually managed to produce in terms of a game plan was pretty was pretty vintage Jose, wasn't it? And yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously he ended up playing basically with a back six, which again is kind of vintage Jose, but dropping Hoybier and, and Sissoko into the into the spaces between his centre back and full back either side and just stopping the City tens or eights or hybrid eights uh, from moving into those areas, stopping De Bruyne getting into the areas that he likes to cross into, you know, that one specific angle on the edge of the box. Basically it was a nullification plan. And they needed they needed to take their chances up front. I don't think they win that game every single time they play it. You know, by the time they went two up, they had had three shots and scored twice. Some would say, obviously, with the form of Kane and Son, that that was to be expected. Others would argue that that is unlikely to happen over the course of, you know, if you played the game 10 times. But they took the chances. The game plan defensively was spot on. And Jose rises above Pep this time. And it is certainly a ranking he has written on his wall, isn't it? I'm currently above Pep. He's yeah. probably was below Pep for about three years, and that's why he was so angry. But now he looks happy again. Well, I mean, there's a question that rolls on from this quite nicely from Shatakula, who says, as a United fan, it's infuriating to watch Mourinho get so much out of this Spurs team. I don't think they're much better than what he had at United. What's the reason he's able to get more from these players than he did up at Old Trafford? Is it the United players did not respond to his methods, or is he doing something different? It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a very interesting point because... There is a level here that you think, okay, he's take, he's elevated this side massively. Yeah, but I mean, his his first season at United, 2017-18, 81 points, second place. And that was this, the season that City were Centurions. They got 100. That was Jose's United. That was a very good team. And it's not, I mean, obviously it fell apart a little bit later, 
But if you consider this to be Jose's first year at Spurs and it's going really well, well, that happened at United. They went really well in the first year there as well. He got 81 points. Like, I don't think it's that different. And as long as Jose has his big target man to play off and his speed on the wings, like he can he can fix the defense. He can patch a defense up himself with whatever personnel he's given. As long as he's got that focal point striker and he's got a hell of one in Harry Kane, then he can do the damage he needs to do. Okay, right, let's flip this to the other side of this game, right? Where where Man City did struggle a little bit. And a question from Daniel Arvidsson. Why are Man City struggling to break down teams this season? Now, I'm sure if you knew the answer, either of you, um, then you'd be on Pep's staff because there's a, there's a lot going on. But there's a couple of questions about Guardiola. And again, you know, he's being questioned, which is, you know, fair enough, I think, a little bit in, in the way that the City are, are currently struggling a tad. You know, when Jan Hu says, does Guardiola have to do away with his dogmatism and overhaul his tactics completely in a favor of a more pragmatic solution? Um, and he says, well, he says the tiki taka is obsolete and the players that emerge from it, bar Thiago Alcantara, are lacking dynamism to contribute anything than their ball retention and pace, passing capabilities, which I think is a little bit harsh. Um, that is harsh. Yeah, and Kevin, Kevin put it somewhere else, which was he said, don't Pep sides miss a kinship in them as a group compared to a Klopp side or even Jose's sides? You see former players talk fondly of Jose Mourinho all the time. And players like Pulisic love seeing Klopp still. With Guardiola, that seems to be all a little bit more kind of standoffish praise of his genius and professionalism. Now, there's lots of things at play here, Dean. But there's you can't doubt that there's something not quite right at City. It doesn't help that Sergio Aguero is not there anymore that's that's one big thing one big element to this is they don't have that focal point to their side and also having Aguero there takes pressure off of Raheem Sterling like I've been thinking all season like why are we not seeing a good Raheem Sterling why is why is he not as efficient or effective as he has been and it's probably because we're expecting him to step up at a time when City need him to, and he's never really done that. When you really, really expect and need Sterling to deliver, he isn't really that that player. Um, I love Sterling, but he's he's not going to replace Aguero as that as that guy that you just rely on to win you games. There's also like you talk about the dynamism missing. I don't, you know, I don't like Riyad Mahrez's style of play. I, I never have and I never will. And I just <laughs> feel it just takes him so long to get around to doing things. And the way it takes him four stepovers to, of course, come back on his left foot inside and then comes eventually swings the ball out to the other flank. Sometimes I'm just like, oh, just get on with it. We know where it's going. Just do it. And when you had Sterling and Sané and the directness of the way they would start out wide and cut inside or vice versa, it was just this clear set patterns that were just so effective get down to the t- get down to the byline pull it back it's not there and they don't have somebody to finish off the chances um that is what they have to find in this city 2.0 team that's what they need to find they've got ferran torres like that's a good addition to this team he's definitely going to be important to the next phase foden not exactly sure exact what position he's going to play long term but he's going to be really effective who's the focal point you know, is it is Messi going to be that person? Is Lautaro Martinez going to be that person? Are they going to somehow persuade Erling Haaland to come? Somebody has to come in. Gabriel Jesus is probably going to get a new contract this season, but I don't think Gabriel Jesus is is a man you can consistently rely on to replace Sergio Aguero. Gabriel it, Jesus, man, so frustrating. I mean, you talk about you talk about just that 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 last bit of mother teresa had more of a killer instinct than gabby jesus in front of goal didn't she i mean he's just so frustrating like take the shot take the onus take the responsibility look no aguero huge problem and dean referenced city 2.0 there which i think is fitting because i've been thinking i was watching him on saturday thinking this city are back to first season guardiola here they don't look that far off that kind of disjointed you know, kind of mess of a team that didn't quite know what to do with regards to pressing, with regards to how to operate in certain areas. There was no, again, your Hazenhutl automatisms. It doesn't seem to be automatic. Those two years that they spent at the very, very pinnacle, everything was instinctive. And right now, everything, they doubt everything. And there was an article in The Athletic which described um, City going 1-0 up and then them getting the yips, you know, when like a punter can't, or sorry, a, a, like a field goal kicker just he gets the yips and he just can't make, he just can't make the clutch kick. City, when they go one nil up, didn't apply this weekend, but generally they start to panic once they're one up. 
because it comes and it comes back to the original question from Daniel Arvidsson: Why are they struggling to break teams down? They're nervous. This is the first time in three years that I'm looking at players on the ball and City and thinking, you're actually nervous with the ball. You're not confident in yourselves. And if any of us could offer the solution to this, you're right. We'd either be on Pep's staff or we'd be Pep Guardiola himself. And we can't answer that question. But there are serious problems here. Uh, I've got the solution, by the way. I've, oh, well. I've found it for them, so it's fine. Uh, they play Fulham in two weeks, oh, and that will that will no doubt uh, fire City back into into some sort of five gear. nil. Sterling scores four. Yeah, um, I would say though that I feel as a big Guardiola fan, as you know, it, it's one of those things where I find it hard to lay the blame completely at the players' door here, Dean. And I think you know what you while what you say about Mares has as merit in that he does take a long time to do things he is quite a languid player and that does frustrate players at times and I can I can see why that does wind people up uh, you know Pep has multiple options here like you say Ferran's there Foden's there Sterling's there Bernardo's there it's not like a oh you have to play Mares every week if that was the issue and the only issue there are there are alternative options, and the fact that that Morris continues to get in his team is because he cre- provides that creative spark, and he does, you know, bring something to the table that no one else does. And there's a reason that Pep keeps keeps picking him because, you know, it's not like he's starved for options, and therefore on the right wing he only has one player to go to. There are there are plenty here, and I think it's hard to lay it at his door in that way because, if it was as simple as that, then you'd imagine that there would just be a far heavier rotation. And yet when magic moments of ma- magic happen from the city team, they often do come from the left foot of Riyad Mahrez. Yeah. I know he's a good player. I am aware of that. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure like, if you were to see him on a daily basis, you'd be amazed at like just how good he actually is at football. It's just that it's harder to judge Mahrez when he doesn't have Aguero up there with him as that player that he needs in the centre. Maybe he doesn't have him to, to play off of in the same way. But perhaps he finds that frustrating. I don't know. But this is a Man City team that we got used to scoring over 100 goals a season. There was no real sign that we thought that would let up. And yet, as soon as Aguero is not there, we've talked for probably 18 months now about City having to start to think about the transition away from Aguero because of the stage he was getting to of his career. What, what happens next? What happens next? And we still, all we know right now is that the team doesn't work without him. They need him back. And they're having to be very careful about how they manage him because he is the most important cog, it turns out, of that of that front line, and yet they can't really afford to rest him, even in the smaller game. Well, he is the most important cog when the entire team isn't functioning, right? Which is what we have right now. Like, when yeah. it functions properly, and I don't think he's, like, for example, I don't think it'd be like, oh, pop Aguero in, and suddenly they're pressing just like they did two years ago. They're just as cohesive as they were. What Aguero does is he gets you out of a hole. They put, they're digging holes for themselves, and they can't get out of them because Aguero can't come in with the brace and save them. And... He doesn't just fix the team-wide issues. He just kind of papers over the cracks. But right now, they need a plaster, and his name is Aguero. But what I would say is that let's, let's again, just make it clear that like it's not acceptable for City to be like, oh, but we don't have Aguero, so we're not playing well. Because Liverpool have, on different occasions this season, lost pretty much everybody. Salah, this weekend, won 3-0. Mane, missed a few games. Van Dijk's out for the season. Gomez is probably out for the season. Alisson missed a few games. It's like Liverpool have coped and they don't have as good squad depth as City. So I just want to make it clear that we're not hiding behind the like, oh yeah, well, Guerrero's not there. So obviously they can't win. Like they should be winning all of their games regardless. Okay. All right. There's a, another side that are struggling to, to break down teams and that's Arsenal. Um, we had a couple of questions. Mac Johnson says, what can Arsenal do internally to fix their attacking issues? For reference, it's been... 476 minutes, nearly eight hours of gameplay since Arsenal have scored a goal from open play. And Clactota says, will Aubameyang ever be the same again? And Michelle's answer to all of this was, the problem with Arsenal was there was no creative output. Nelson did bring speed in the team, but what else does Arteta need to do to a team that can actually create chances besides bench William? Right. I do think there's an element of this that's a little bit, not harsh because all the points are, are valid, um, but I think that Arteta's game plan was to frustrate Bielsa and frustrate Leeds, which they did reasonably well in the first half. And then Nicola Pepe decided to be an absolute melon <laughs> and, and, and basically 
I, I'm, I'm not sure in what world Nicola Pepe thinks he's getting away with that. And at what, at what point he's like, oh yeah, they won't see that on VAR. I just headbutted someone. Like, it, like it, it blows my mind. Blows my mind. But I do think that there is a problem with Arsenal's attempt uh, in in open play. As obviously has been has been high and out here, Sam. But but it's one of those things that I think up to the point where Pepe got sent off, the game plan was working quite nicely against Leeds. It was, and to be fair, Leeds only got worse through that half because they they got frustrated and they started taking pot shots and stuff and like obviously when you hit the, the woodwork three or four times you feel unfortunate not to win but Arsenal arguably did quite well defensively ultimately um what I would say is and it's a really basic point here you're gonna you're gonna laugh at me but ultimately I think Arsenal's biggest problem or Arteta's biggest problem with regard to the lack of creativity in open play is that they actually just don't field enough attacking or creative players and sometimes you can go around the houses with these things and you can you can look at the tactics, you can look at the dynamics. And ultimately, you can also just look at the, the, the team that they're fielding. And you just you just think, well, yeah, you're not fielding any attacking or creative players, are you? Like often Saka starts on the bench at this point with definitely with no Thomas Partey. Sometimes they end up with, you know, you've got Xhaka or Elneny in there. You've got Willian, who is he's doing a lot of the fundamentals, but he's not creating much in terms of a spark. Lacazette's been drifting in and out of games. Aubameyang is not a creative player anyway. All of a sudden, you're looking at these Arsenal teams sometimes and you're like, you've got like two creative players on the pitch here. Like literally two of two. And one of them is Thomas, who plays deep-flying midfield. So from a very starting point, they are way too workmanlike. And it comes back to a point we've probably talked about a few times. They feel a little bit overcoached at times like the ingenuity and the spark has been taken out of their play and that they can't act on instinct and they are actually just kind of robotic. And that definitely tells up when you look at the, t- the players that Arteta chooses and you think you're, you're too functional here. So it sounds obvious, but like just play more, play more like attacking and creative players. And he tried to do that, I think with Nicola Pepe and Pepe got himself sent off and banned, I guess, for at least three games now. So there's, there's another problem to uh, to deal with. But ultimately, I think they're way too conservative with their selections. And that has a huge knock-on impact. And Aubameyang will even be the same again, Klaktota. I mean, he's ultimately not changed, mate, honestly. He's never been a striker who creates his own chances. He's always been poacher extraordinaire. You'd never ask Aubameyang to beat a couple of players and shoot. You'd never ask him to hold up, turn, beat a man and go like you would with Harry Kane. This is Aubameyang. If he doesn't get service, he doesn't score goals. He's 31 years of age and he's been the same player for the for a decade. So Arsenal's build-up issues, lack of creativity and not fielding enough players in that area directly leads to Aubameyang being rubbish because he doesn't get the chances. Can't create him himself. You can't ask him to do that. Dean, we've seen Arsenal change a little bit. We've we kind of left that three at the back system a little bit behind. We've, you know, it's obviously come back in in fits and starts, but this was supposed to be, I think on paper at least, a 4-2-3-1, uh, which, which was, I suppose, an, an attempt to try and fix this issue, to create more things. And, and it didn't really work in that regard. It worked in the way that it stifled leads. It didn't really work in the way that it created lots more chances for Arsenal. No, it was kind of the, the attacking setup was one of those you normally see them just test out in pre-season rather than a, a Premier League match. Um, a lot of injuries, those guys, didn't they? I mean, I, I, I thought for a second, like, oh, he's, he's fielded these players for a specific reason. I looked at the bench and thought, oh, yeah, it's true. And I think with Arteta, you've got, he does deserve a lot of credit for what's happened at Arsenal. And they're actually really, really pleased with what he's managed to do in his time at the club so far. You know, he's, we've even seen his, his job role literally change. He's, he's now named first team manager. He's not just coach. He's, he's taken charge of various aspects around the club. So there's absolutely no chance that they waver from this path that they're on with him. Um, and he's got the winning mentality. They've, they've won the cup last season. And they're defensively very, very solid. Now. They're yeah. solid. They're yeah, a I was very, just gonna very say, good like, defensive against, unit. Against Leeds, like the one thing you came out of it, you're like, well, the performances of people like Holding and Gabrielle and Tierney, they had like a real toughness about them. And, you know, a, f- a fight, like even Tierney, you know, after the full-time whistle, just looking angry and kind of something that Arsenal have lacked. At least as, as fans, you could look at it and be like, okay, the players care now. The players really care. And it's been quite a while since you could watch that and truly believe it. It does, 
in terms of going back to the what can they do about the you know lack of attacking options you it always comes back and it's always going to come back to why can they not find a way to get Ozil going you know it, because it of course Ozil is he's their best player as an actual football player he is their best player right I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying he deserves a place in the team every week. Of course he doesn't, because there's still been some flaws in his all-round personality and game. But he's their best footballer. Like, at least give yourself the option to use him. Um, he's out so the that, squad, isn't he? Yeah, yeah he's, he's out of the he's... squad. And if whatever reason they, they took for that, it's a bad one. It's a really bad one, because he they could really have... They could really do with Meza Ozil to just call upon at times when their squad is is lacking options. Yeah, it, it does feel like even if you weren't going to start him, having him in reserve to you know occasionally bring on as part of it, but maybe he doesn't buy into that. You know, it goes back to what we were saying, right? And maybe he hasn't yeah. bought into that new mentality and and you know thing that Arsenal have going under Arteta, and you know that happens behind the scenes. So yeah. I, I agree with you in that. It does feel weird that he's not part of this squad, but the, the interesting thing is like Pepe still fits with that mentality after going around headbutting people for no I mean, reason. But, but didn't Pepe didn't he, didn't he sort of publicly not? I wouldn't say complain because he was more like publicly. It's not moaning either. He was regretting that he hadn't been given more chances, and he spoke to the press about it. He's he like, wasn't getting enough minutes. He's like, yeah, I mean, obviously, like I want to play more. It's disappointing. Well, that was his chance, and that's what happened. But to, to take it away from Özil again, a second, just I take a look at like the the formation or the, the personnel that Arsenal used against Villa back to my very basic point you know what I always say about how you like I like the balance of five attackers and five defenders on a pitch yeah so like Conte's Chelsea his 3-4-3 three, three, where his three center backs and his two center mids defended more or less and his wing backs and his front three were his attackers five five Liverpool are the same midfield three and center backs defend full backs front three attack five and five Arsenal have like two attacking creative players and eight defensive players most of the time because their fullbacks are really conservative. He doesn't use Saka as much as we probably want, and Lacazette drifts out against. Like I know we, can, you can, as I said, you can talk about all different reasons, but fundamentally, he Arteta himself is way too conservative with his selections, and that's I feel like that's the only way that these open play woes creatively really fix themselves. Well, that's enough about Arsenal. Uh, there is a couple more Premier League teams that we're going to rattle through before we move on to the Bundesliga and the Serie A and obviously a load of questions at the end that we're going to quick fire through. But before that, uh, Sam Papworth says, with Timo Werner proving such an effective presence from the left wing, where does Christian Pulisic fit into the Chelsea team when he's back from injury? Could we see him deployed in the middle of the front three? Sam, I know you're gasping to answer this one. So over to you. No, not gasping to answer this question. Just kind of wanting to revel in some self-indulgence for a second. But like, what did we say all summer? Yeah. Timo Werner off the left-hand side, off a target man in Tammy, in Tammy Abraham, just as he did at Leipzig, where he had, you know, Patrick Schick or, or Yusuf Paulsen to, to play off. It has taken Lampard a little bit of time um, to figure out all of the different moving parts in his team, his, you know, his, his double eights in the field ahead of Kante. That came together. The front three is now coming together. And just as important, with Werner from the left is Abraham as the focal point. These players are really enjoying playing off him and using him as a decoy. This Chelsea team is singing partially as a result of Tommy Abraham playing and winning that role back as the number nine. That gives Olivier Giroud an opportunity to step in and play as the reserve or rotational number nine. It actually massively enhances Giroud's chances of playing, I think, which sounds a bit odd because Tammy's stolen his spot, but if they fix if they fix and settle on this way of playing, then Giroud is now the automatic rotational striker. And that means that I don't think you can then move over to someone like Pudasic in the middle. That doesn't make sense to me because of the the pattern of the uh, and, and the structure of the attack. Pudasic is now ultimately, you know, he has to win his spot on the left or the right. And he can do either. I know we've seen his best from the left, but I think he could play on the right. And that might be his best route to minutes at the moment. But He's going to have to wait this one out and try and win his spot back. But this is what happens when you have, you know, 15 quality attackers. I don't know. I don't... I mean, the, the, this is how I would look at it. Timo Werner is undroppable, right? Tammy Abraham isn't. I think, I think the easy option for Lampard is still to put Pulisic back out wide. Werner goes back in the middle as the X stays out on the other flank. Like, I just... That's what I see happening. It's a really tough one for Lampard because Abraham's given him 
posed him a question. I don't think he thought he'd do possibly quite as well as this. And, you know, even a lot of Chelsea fans have been surprised at how much they've enjoyed what Abraham's been able to do. I just think that there's no way he's going to leave Werner out. Pulisic, the most obvious place is to put him is out on the left. And I just see him putting Werner back in the middle. I think it will happen. I hope it doesn't. I can see what you mean, but if he's smart, he doesn't do that. If he's smart, he just leaves Pulisic out until until that injury happens because you can't take... How can he leave Pulisic out, mate, though? When he plays, he's their best player. But you can't take Ziyech out because he's been an absolute magician. That's why you get rid of Tammy. No, you don't because this whole attack is working. It's true. It's true. There are. It works. There, there is a valid point. It's like if it ain't broke, yeah, don't fix it, right? But I, I can see where you're coming from, Dean. And I think there's, there's, there's a very valid argument. I'm just that. looking at. I just know what Frank. I, I, just, I look, put myself in Frank Lampard's position. He, like Pulisic, is was their best player, right? Before these injuries set in, like Pulisic was their best player, and he knows what he's capable of. And I, I just think he'll. He won't be able to resist. He might not play the first game he's back from injury, but by the second game, when he's like fully fit, he is not going to be able to resist leaving Pulisic on the bench. There's no way. He'll put him straight in. I get it. I get it. But there are lots of games to go around here. So there are opportunities to um, circumvent this issue by citing fixture pileup and trying a few new things. But I think we know from what we've seen how this Chelsea attack starts to purr. And I think we know it's anchored off Tammy up front. Well, there we have it. We uh, we have an answer, or, or at least Sam has an answer kind of. in terms of how, how to sort this out. <laughs> right, after the break, we're going to be turning our sights to Europe and beyond. Don't go anywhere. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill, it's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where we are halfway through our Monday Patreon post box. Now, if you're enjoying yourself and you feel like you should get involved with this every week, we think you should, um, then you can come and join us, obviously, over on Patreon, where this is a weekly occurrence. You get your questions answered as well. We get through as many different Patreon questions as we can every single week, and it's a, it's a whole load of fun. So, so we'd highly encourage you to come and join us over there. The link is in the description for this episode, or you can go to patreon.com forward slash ranks fc let's get into the bundesliga and all of the questions pretty much uh, are directed towards one club and in particular one man and we'll start here dean ed jackson says where do you think harland will go next and when and, and before you get to this just can we talk about erling harland on, on the weekend because this was ludicrous watching erling harland at the weekend against Hertha was actually quite funny but I felt really really sorry for her to because in any other game they probably would have won but Haaland just showed his superpowers and made a mockery of them because he's bigger than everyone else and he's faster than everyone else and he can kick it harder than everybody else and it, <laughs> it was either like when you're at school and yeah, there's a kid say. a kid that's grown and gone through puberty before everybody else and so he just like shoves everyone out the way and just can storm past everyone and for like two years he's the best kid in the school and then everybody else catches up and you never hear of him again or it's like a computer game where you've just got a player that just stands out on your team and you always get get the ball to him because he has um, a rating far higher than everybody else on the pitch and just storms through. It was Adriano on Pez three, wasn't it? This was yeah. this is it. It was like it was it was just unplayable. It didn't matter what he did, and and Harlem was just that unplayable. He really, really was. Um, if you haven't seen, even just go and look at the goals from from that Dortmund game because it genuinely is quite funny. He's so fast, this lad. He's so fast. Anyway, let's get to... Look, he, the reason he's at Dortmund is because he was excited about what they were building and what he would be part of. And it was a stepping stone to where he wants to be on his overall journey, right? And it was a really good decision to, to go there. He wants to play with people like Rayner and I know Bellingham wasn't there at the time, but like that, he knows that they're the type of players that they're going to be targeting. And he wants to come through with a lot of players that are still emerging and trying stuff. And that's he, he can be the star man in a team like that, right? Where he goes next, 
is really, really difficult to predict. I don't think he's going to leave yet. I really don't. I think he's going to stay at Dortmund for another year. I think that... As in a year, as in he won't leave next summer even? I don't think he'll leave in the summer, no. I think it'll be the summer after. I think he's going to... I think he'll see this through for a little bit. Unless there's like a project which defines how he fits into it clearly and like what the overall philosophy is and he just can't turn it down. I can't think of anyone, to be honest, that he would be that tempted by. Is there the sentimental draw of Man City, given his father? Maybe, but I don't, I don't know if he'll go there yet. I don't think he'll take that step yet. Like City is, it's kind of a gamble as well. There is definitely the temptation that it's City, but I think that they're still going to look at people like that are a bit more similar to Aguero before they go to Haaland. That's why you, there's always the links with like a Lautaro type figure, I think, in terms of like build and like where he's from. And Similar like in terms of nationality. Nationality <laughs> and like how tall he is. But Haaland, the thing, the thing with Haaland, right, is he's a mix of old school and new school. So he pretty much fits in with whoever you want, right? You could be, you can play any sort of football and you can fit Haaland into your team. There is no other player out there like him right now. Like people say, okay, Mbappe, like he's going to be the best player in the world, right? They're just so different, aren't they? And if you were to, if you want a striker, you're, you're going to look at Haaland, I think, ahead of Mbappe. Unless you're Real Madrid with their Mbappe pot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the cost here is surely a factor. Yeah, obviously. But I don't know. It's just, it's going to be really interesting to see how this whole Haaland thing opens out. And he seems like he's got a really, good team around him you know his dad and his the other representatives and even himself he seems like very focused you don't you don't hear all these stories around him like you do with players like Jaden Sancho where that are clearly upsetting the club and he's out you know parties or flying off here and there Harlan just seems to love football and he gets angry at people when they ask him silly questions he gets angry at people when they doubt him that's the kind of footballer you want to be signing. This lad's going all the way to the top. Haaland is that is that player. You you say he's a mix of new school, old school. Dean, you're on fire today, by the way, with these references. I like it. He is. There are very few strikers, very few strikers that you could confidently say could play for Pep and or Jose Mourinho because of the different things that they would ask of their striker. And yet ha- Haaland could play for anybody. And that includes those two ends of the spectrum. He is a remarkable, remarkable player. I just want to... Send my condolences to Mateus Cunha, who scored an unbelievably good goal in that game, and no one is going to remember it. We do, <laughs> we do like Mateus Cunha. He gets a fair bit of airtime on his podcast. So but he scored such a good goal, and then Harlan went and scored four. He's just, it's a joke. But I mean, let's take it on to Dortmund as a whole. And and Seve Hoge says. Dortmund seem to hold many keys to the future with young players, Haaland, Rayner, Bellingham. It doesn't appear to be so this season, but do you think they can topple the Bayern dominance in Germany? Or do you think they'll only stay until a larger club show interest in them? He says that he believes Dortmund have shown they have the capacity to become a top three club in the world if they kept and developed their, the, the talent they have their hands on. But, you know, we've spoken to, we spoke to Christian Falk in the summer, Dean, and there's other people who... You know, say that Dortmund aren't, aren't, aren't the kind of club to do that. They don't have the financial stability to hold on and basically be like, no, we're going to keep all these players and actually mm. just keep marching onwards. It's going to be a, a a place where young talent is honed and they're reasonably happy with that. Yeah, I think it's important as well to bear in mind that Bundesliga clubs, particularly ones like Dortmund, are being really hit by the whole pandemic. And you've got basically the biggest stadium in Europe, right? Empty every week, pretty much. That's huge for a club like Dortmund. Um, and I think the Bundesliga is going to feel the effect of this in a year or so. And maybe that's why Haaland does become available if, if Dortmund do want to cash in and, and make some money while they can. I do kind of feel like they are a feeder club and will always be a feeder club until they decide otherwise. It's a place that Gio Reyna and Pulisic are going to raise their profile and then get the move of their dreams. I don't feel like any of these players are dreaming of ending up at Dortmund, but they know it's a club they would love to play for, yes, and they will give everything while they're there, but it's not the end of their mission. How do you they're... change that? How, if you're Dortmund, or maybe you don't want to, but if you did want to, how do you change that? Because it doesn't feel like Bayern are like that, and yet 
the model in Germany stands by every club, right? The, the fans have to own 50% of it. The, the finances have to be intact. How do you change the mentality of a club like Dortmund so that it is a final destination rather than a stepping stone? Because it feels like Bayern are, are a final destination, but everyone else feels a bit like a stepping stone. Don't you just like basically say that? Don't you just assert that? I mean, ultimately, I think part of the pitch here for Dortmund, and this is this is a good thing and a bad thing, is that these players really want to go to Dortmund, partially because they know it's a wonderful place to develop and play, but also partially because they know they will not be trapped there. If they want to leave, that they can leave. And if Dortmund turned around and said, yeah, so we're not selling you and we're now buying players with an, with an, with an emphasis on development and then keeping you and becoming a superpower, you might find that they attract fewer starlets because those players then don't want to go to Dortmund because it's not the stepping stone they thought it was. Haaland very clearly prioritised playing time when he made his decision 12 months ago and he joined uh, he joined Dortmund. Now, if Dortmund hadn't have said, oh yeah, well, obviously, you know, if he didn't know that Dortmund were a, were a team that could hone you and then develop you and then sell you, he might not have gone there. Like that's, this is part of it. And Ultimately, it's up to Dortmund to assert what they are in the market. You choose what you are if you're Dortmund. And they have chosen to be a team that sells players. And that works for them in some ways, and it burns them in others. How do you change that? You decide to be a different type of team. Like Bayern have decided that they are the best team in Germany, the biggest team in Germany, an honour to play for, the best thing in the world. And if you play for us, you are super lucky. That is basically how they operate. Yeah, I guess there's uh, ups and downs to all of it. But it, it does seem a weird one when, yes, you, you look at these players and you look at them coming through and you think, right, this team has the capacity and the capabilities to challenge Bayern maybe next year. And then you wonder how many of these players will be there next year. Yeah, suddenly but... Haaland leaves, Sancho's gone, Bellingham's going, and you're like, oh. I mean, the good thing is they always have another three players to, to put they forward, do, don't yeah. they? They do, yeah. so... Well, the talent machine keeps rolling and Dortmund keep making everybody happy. And and I suppose that's something in itself, right? It's uh, it's about keeping people happy. Let's flip to Italy, uh, to study out where Binyamin has a question about Milan. And he says, I get that Milan are a really well-run club for the first time in a decade. And it makes sense that they're improving. But how have they gotten this good this fast? It's not just Ibrahimovic, although obviously he's unreal. They have a lot of players that were there last year or two years ago and just weren't that good, but are suddenly integral to the best team in Italy. Obviously, this team isn't perfect, but how did this happen? Was the talent always there, just unrealized, or is this an unsustainable overperforming of their ability and eventually they'll fall back to earth? Make this make sense for me, please. Now, <laughs> there's a lot going on, and, and Milan are obviously top of the league. This is only the second time ever well, second time in the three-point era, shall we say, that they've got 20 points from their first eight games in a Serie A season. The last time they went on to win the Scudetto. And that is an impressive feat in itself, given where the side were last year, Sam. It is. It is impressive. I would say that the rapid turnaround is ultimately, and this is the case for a lot of things in football, Benjamin, the recruitment has been absolutely superb. And... It's not just about identifying, you know, talented players and, and watching the under-20 World Cup or watching the Europa League and, and, and finding your Jens Petterhalgers or whatever. It's, it's about squad building and squad meshing as well. They've got a manager in Pioli who seems to be able to essentially harness a talented team. They're not that spectacular tactically. They're pretty modern. They have very attacking fullbacks. They have a really hard-working central midfield duo. They have a good number 10. They have a talismanic striker. They have goal-scoring attacking mids. Like They're pretty standard by your modern 2020 footballing terms. Ultimately, it's about two years' worth of excellent recruitment because all these players you're watching have ultimately been bought in the last two years. They're checking the market. They're looking at, oh, Teo Hernandez is available for what we think is a bargain fee. We'll buy low on him. Rafael Liao is an emerging player. Kair was a buy-low, sort of low-risk, high-reward player, a veteran presence. Vanessa was the golden ball winner, or whatever you call it, at the AFCON. He was the best player at the AFCON, and they took him from Sampdoria. Like, they're just signing well. And ultimately, when you buy better players, you get better. And it seems like with Milan, have they missed on any signings in the last two years? Like, have, Has there been one that you're like, nah, that didn't work out very well? They're very hard to point out 
aren't they? Radha Krunic is the one I can see looking at the squad list where I'm like, ah, you've not been great, but he doesn't really get to play that much. The rest of them have all been hits. Oh, yeah, Piontek. Yeah. Oh, that's very true, Piontek. Uh, very, yeah. Okay, but I mean, like, so they've they've ultimately, yeah, they've missed a couple, but I think the percentage is is very high. The hit rate is ridiculous, and this is just this is what good recruitment does. And then obviously they've got the manager to harness it all together. And as we keep saying, Zlatan, the focal point, the talisman, the guy that sort of brings it all together. That's a squad building success as well as a talent ID success. Well, yeah, that's um. It's one of those things, isn't it, where Zlatan just appears to have changed the mentality of this side, Dean, as much as anything else. And and that will play a huge part in this. It is, you know, being like being told by someone that good that you are good enough and you are good enough to compete with anyone and you are good enough to, you know, to challenge the top of this table. And then suddenly you're like, oh, maybe I am. And I think there is there has to be an element of that. I don't think it's the be all and end all, but I do yeah. think there's an element of it. There was. I mean, I don't think we should underestimate the impact that Pioli made. Um, there was that. There was a stage, what, six months ago? Like, Pioli was on his way out, and they mm. were going to have a complete overhaul of this whole system. And Pioli knew that. He knew how close he was to going. And he got everyone together, and he gave it absolutely everything to make sure every person in that squad and in the background team knew what he was trying to do and what he believed he could do. And he took them all aside and he, and he explained his roles to them, their roles to them, and just painted a picture of what he wanted Milan to be if they bought into it. And from what I heard, like everybody was so impressed by what he spelled out that it brought everybody together. And they've never looked back from that moment. If you look back to post-lockdown to now, like Milan are one of the best teams around and it all stemmed from the fact that he was just desperate to cling on to his job and make a go of it. So he gave it everything and fair play to him because it does seem to have been the catalyst for everybody coming on board. He saved his own job there. Like they were all set to appoint Ralph Rangnick in some kind of like managerial director of football overseeing, overpowering role. Like it was done. They were ready to do it. Ralph Rangnick could agree to everything and they'd already started putting the, the the pieces in place. And then Pioli just make, he forces them to make a decision, forces them to make a horrible, difficult decision. Like, fair play to him. Like, it's incredible what he's managed to do. Oh, he's brought the levels of so many players up again. And I think that there's, you know, much that you, much you have to give him pretty much all the credit for. And, and that's why Milan are, that's why Milan are, are doing well, isn't it? You yeah. know, the background, it took a while for the the recruitment and all of these different bits to, to actually come into place. But now it has fallen into place. It does seem like the, the bones of it have been there for a while and it has now just finally clicked. And, and it's taken a lot of different elements for that to happen. And yet this is where we are now. And, and so, no, I don't think this is unsustainable. I don't know if Milan will definitely win the league. I think that, you know, that's a, that's a bold prediction to make even here. And we said at the top of the show that predicting league victories at, at this point in November are, it's going to be difficult, but I think they're definitely in with a shot. And, and that in itself is more than Milan will have been hoping for from this season. It's possible that Zlatan's goal return is somewhat unsustainable. Yes, agreed. Just because it's of the also loss. possible it's not. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, right. We've got a little quick fire question. So we're going to finish with a little trip around the world, basically. But there's some from MLS and we'll uh, we'll deal with them in the whole miss. But Dean, I've got one from John, which is only directed at you. And he wants to know your craziest moment working with Charlie from Sunderland Till I Die was. <laughs> the craziest thing about it is I didn't even know he liked football, actually. Um it was primarily just like a horse racing guy and he was he was overseeing the whole thing and he was a bit he was an odd he was an odd bloke um he was just way way more posh than everyone on our desk anyway and pretty unrelatable to be honest but seemed to have very minimal interest or knowledge in football and was just like the money guy and loves horse racing that's what I always thought of him so um, I don't have any crazy stories because I was so low down the ladder that he spent as little time with me as possible. But um, the only thing I can remember is he would wear ridiculous socks and loved horse racing. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, there we have it. He didn't like football. That's a good, um, I think that's a good enough uh, excuse, isn't he? Um, okay. Mitch Hutchinson says, who's been the most impressive EPL signing so far? I'll start with you, Sam. Oh, no. I mean... 
I I've struggled. just said EPL. I hate the fact that I've just said EPL. Yeah, it really upsets me. I struggled, I struggled to get away from the idea that Jota has been nothing short of incredible. Um, but, I mean, look, value for money-wise, there's still a winner in Ferran Torres, which we said, again, back in June or whatever it was, whenever they managed to secure his signature, like... Ferran Torres for like 20 odd million is a joke. It's a joke of a deal. He is so, so good. And that is the best value deal of the summer, I think. But Jota has been an absolute standout. So has Pierre-Emil Hoybier. Yeah. Little yeah. shout for Alan as well. Hoybier was 15 million. That, that's that's unreal. He's 15 million. And I, I, don't, I don't know how to feel about that one because it was a rare everybody wins deal because everyone got money and everyone got a player because yeah. Walker Peters has been fantastic for Southampton. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Everyone's happy and no one misses the player that they lost, but those players are playing brilliantly for their new teams. It makes mm. no sense. No, everyone's having everyone's having a good time. Yeah, 25 million for Alan, I think is genuinely a really good bit of business from, from Everton. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay on that path. Um, You're not going to go Jota? No, I've already told. I've talked enough about Diego Jota, mate. Um, <laughs> and I, I know, I knew that Diego Jota was going to be an one. incredible, I incredible knew signing. It, I, knew it. I knew it. So there's no point in me even going over it again. But yeah, fair play. Um, and talking of Alan, Sam McCrory asks, "What are your guys' thoughts on the tucked-in jersey? Who is the champion of this look?" He says he feels it's a difficult to pull off look and underappreciated. And Alan is championing it right now. No, He's Bellerin, a- Bellerin, when he does it, I love oh, yeah. it. It's so good when Bellerin does it. I, I was watching the Arsenal game a couple of weeks ago, and that was my favourite thing about the game, just constantly looking at Bellerin with his tucked-in shirt. KT3 is a wonderful tucker in Fullbacks look good then. I always think that if you tuck your shirt in, you look like you should be playing up front for Mansfield Town. And um, I can't shake that image from my head, so I hate mm. it. Did you say a... you used to wear your shirt tucked in? I did, yeah, a lot of the time, because the shirts are all so big for me, I had no choice. No choice. That's what I was, even when I played for like going back when I was at Fulham and like in the academy or whatever, like you don't get the treatment you get now. We had the old first team kit. I was a small 14 year old wearing the number 10 shirt from the bloke who's about six foot four in the first team. It's ridiculous. <laughs> you had to tuck it in, otherwise, it, I, it was I actually long sleeve, but it's actually short sleeve. Yeah, I had a bet. You had a you had a belt around it. It was like a dress. Um, <laughs> okay, let's go to MLS. Uh, Quinn Kaufman says, "Who do you guys back to do it in the MLS playoffs now that the stage is set?" Oh, so unpredictable. It's so fun though, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it really is. Um, I really like Nashville. Somebody asked about Nashville in the in the questions, and yeah, Nashville are fun, and they're uh, they could catch everybody by surprise. Um, I think he said. A, as an expansion team, was anybody expecting them to be the best? And, and definitely not. But what they've done is they've got a couple of people like Dax McCarty and Walker Zimmerman. Like they're really smart additions to that team. And well, they were very, very comprehensive winners, but beating into some Miami uh, so, you know, 3-0 at the weekend. And I mean, the goal from, from Randall Liao was ridiculous. He's, he's a standout player that... You know, I I do think they could do it. I don't. I honestly don't know where this is going. Partly because I gave up on MLS for about four months. Um, so I've only I've like right. I'm all in now for the playoffs. Like now it matters. I'm there. <laughs> Till now I couldn't. I just couldn't get into it. But I've watched a lot of it over the weekend and stuff. Um, I'm going Nashville. It's not probably going to happen. But you think I'm Nashville gonna... are going to win it? Yeah. Do you know what their uh, manager spent like played like one game for Fulham okay fine done yeah, yeah okay cool they've um they've won it then already yeah <laughs> um that, that was easy that was um that was really I, good he's English played for Fulham go on to Nashville all right um Sam <laughs> I mean the the game the game that's obviously taken caught the eye in many ways is the the Portland versus Dallas game and the absolutely ludicrous free kick uh, penalty kick shootout that was Orlando and NYCFC there was loads no, no, there was there was another one in Portland, Dallas, where they won eight. Dallas won eight seven. Oh, I didn't see. Was it last night? Yeah, and then obviously oh. the Orlando. I wasn't even going to get on. Spoil that for me. I wasn't even going to get on to Orlando NYCFC. Oh, that was that... that was that was too nuts to be to be even discussing. I think. Look, guys, you know I don't watch MLS. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know who. Are Toronto in the playoffs? Yeah, Toronto play Nashville. Right, well, I'm going to pick Toronto then, just like mm. I do every year. Cameron Arato says, where do you think an MLS All-Star team would place in the top five leagues? An MLS All-Star team, well, I mean, it depends which league, obviously. I mean, France, they'd win it. Um, 
They would be mid table, mid table. I mean, the Premier League, they might get relegated. I mean, Carlos Vela, this is, this is the problem with it. Carlos Vela is the best player in MLS. I know I'm biased, but he's the best player in MLS. Where would he fare in the top five leagues in Europe? Do really well, no? Well, probably not. He'd probably be like a mid-range player, wouldn't he? I assumed that he'd be like a Europa League standard winger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's fair enough. I think that's exactly right. But that's what I mean. So if that's your best player, then where's the rest falling? <laughs> would, that, would the All-Star team beat Burnley? At the moment, yeah. At the moment they would, yeah. But yeah. Bur- like Burnley from last season? Nah. Nah, I think okay, Chris, yeah, would, Chris Wood would bully it, wouldn't it? Yeah, they wouldn't beat that team. <laughs> okay, last question. This is from Jeremy Tennessee. He says, with Pep staying on as City manager, what top club, if any right now, can managers like Pochettino and Allegri go for? And before you say the obvious answer, no, Man United should not be considered in this situation. Um, It's a good question. Where would you chuck Poch or Allegri right now? Well, I mean, we're not expecting Ronald Koeman to last that long at Barcelona. So there's one obviously massive job that is surely up for grabs within the next six to 12 months. I get a feeling that Real Madrid are really committing to Zidane and Simeone is Atletico Madrid. So that's probably that one. And then, yeah, I mean, how does Pirlo get on at Juventus? Because if it doesn't go very well, then they will sack him. They are pretty ruthless like that. So I'd probably add Juve into the ring more for Pochettino than Allegri, because I don't think they'd obviously go back to that. Whenever Hansi Flick decides to stop winning most of his games at Bayern Munich, that becomes available. But PSG surely is the one that's like, I don't know, man. It just doesn't feel like this is going to. Thomas Tuchel is going to be sticking around that much longer either. So Barca and PSG in the next 12 months, I expect to change managers. Yeah, and it would not surprise me if I don't actually I don't even know which combo it is, but Allegri or Poch took either of those jobs. I know what Poch has said in the past about Barca, but he seems to have carefully retracted those comments in search for employment. Yeah, yeah I did notice I, this. I think PSG is a good shout for Poch. I really do. Mm. He'll win I think some it's stuff perfect for him. That'd He'll nice. win stuff. He gets to spend some money. Gets to have a really good time. Wasn't allowed to spend money for like three years. <laughs> and too cool. He's in the last year of his contract, isn't he? Yeah. I think yeah. he is. I'm not sure Allegri um, fits at Barcelona. No. Allegri, I think he's done. Shut up, Dino. No he's not done. He just doesn't fit at Barca. Allegri would be done. great at PSG. Where's he going to go? He'd be brilliant Where's at PSG. Where's he going to go? He'd be brilliant uh, at PSG. He could go to Man United. Yeah, I'm going to Google this. Allegri finished. <laughs> is it are you yeah. expecting a yes or a no is allegri finished no, no he's not. <laughs> okay no so yeah so that's interesting um <laughs> Mate, I don't Alleg- know Alleg- allegri-, allegri to united would be a really nice fit i think so um yeah there's there's definitely those options out there i know obviously united was ruled out there but um i'm going to put it back in regardless but psg Barca and potentially Juventus, Pirlo pending. I mean, I think there's someone made a, a very valid point on Twitter the weekend, and I'm sorry I won't be able to find the tweet, but they did say that since basically Barcelona sacked Valverde, who had them top of the league, to bring in a manager that played more of a Barcelona style and make Barcelona and make Messi happier, they have done two managers who have failed to either implement a style or make Messi happier. Barcelona are now eighth and tenth. Tenth. Are they? 10th after eight games and are sadder and Messi is sadder than he's ever been. He hates maybe, it. Maybe, he the hates point, it. maybe the point oh, sorry, wasn't... Quick, guys, I think Barca are 12th. Just like oh, 12th now. Maybe 12th. maybe Allegri would, would just sort the mess out. Maybe Allegri is actually the only person Honestly. that can sort the mess at Barcelona Messi out. Done. Messi is done at Barcelona. All right, it's time to finish this podcast. Yeah, when, when Dean starts making statements like Messi Allegri's is done. finished, Messi is done, this podcast is over. <laughs> this podcast Farewell, is see you on Patreon, guys. Um, well, <laughs> Come and join us for yeah. more, more sensible opinions like this every week. <laughs> All right. Uh, and on that bombshell, as they say, uh, it's probably time for us to finish. Um, all that's really left for me to do is say thank you very much, Dean Jones. Cheers, Jack. Thank you very much, Mr. Sam Tsai. Cheers, buddy. I've been Jack Collins. This has been a free episode of the Patreon Postbox. And remember, if you do fancy joining us and making your Patreon loan deal permanent, uh, the link is in our bio or it's patreon.com forward slash ranks FC. It's less than a pint a month for the three of us to share, which is... (laughs) 
We don't want to share basically pints, unbelievable value. Frankly, <laughs> if you were buying one pint a month for us to share to get eight extra podcasts, we think that that's uh, it's pretty class. Frankly, we think that's that sounds class, like some kind so, of forfeit um, having to share a pint with you two. Yeah. What yeah, have we exactly. done to deserve that? Eh? But I, I don't know. Remember the competition as well, guys. Uh, and yep. yeah, if you get somebody to join up, send us a DM with that person's name and we will enter you in the competition to win a football shirt of your choice. If you want a name and number on the back, you can have you can have whatever you want, basically, from, from this football shirt. So on that note, uh, we'll call this a day. And thank you so much for listening. It's been Ranks FC and we'll see you on Wednesday for our big ranking episode. Take care, gang. See you later. Peace. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. 